The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Great King, we look to you now and ask you to reach out your hand and to reign over us doing a good work in our midst here. Particularly this morning, I pray that you would lift up your name so as to clear away from us disgrace, deep shame, reproach, that's the Bible's word, to clear it away from us a reproach that is, in a sense, right because of our sin before you, a holy God. Would you clear that away? A reproach that is wrong, a disgrace that is wrong, thrown on us by a world that hates us. A disgrace that is common to all of us because we live in a fallen world. God, deal with that this morning amongst us here in this room, amongst your people here, and do so by lifting up Christ and showing him to be a good deliverer. Father, this is a task that is beyond me, and so I ask you to send your Spirit here to do a work in the the hearts of individuals here, wherever they are, whatever place they're coming from, to do a work here among us, to lift up your own name for our good, for our deliverance, Lord, bring glory to Yourself and a freedom to Your people. And for those here who know disgrace and who know the burden and the threat of living in this world but don't know You, would You place salt on their tongue and cause them to thirst? And then show them Christ as water for life. Please do that. And do it through a story that is so familiar to us that we think we know it and stop listening. God, open up our eyes to chapter 17. And help me to explain it clearly. We need you. We look to you. We depend on you. We hope in you. We want to be a people who honor you. So help us this morning, Father, and help me. Help me with all my many distractions and all my sins and all my shortcomings. Help me to be faithful to you and clear about your word. Speak, we pray, in the name of this King, Jesus. We pray. Amen. (coughs) We do turn our attention this morning to 1 Samuel 17 which is one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. People who know nothing about the Bible know this story. It is common in, in many places in our culture. It's the story of how God honored His own name and delivered His people by means of the son of Jesse, otherwise known as David and Goliath. One of the Bible's most common stories. It's a frequent metaphor for the triumphant underdog everywhere. 
However, though it is widely known, it is also widely misunderstood even among Christians. The story of David and Goliath is, is not about, it ultimately is not about us. It's not about teaching us how to tackle the giants in our life. It's not about inspiring us to find five smooth stones of technique and skill. It's not about us. It's hardly about David and Goliath. It's about God. Like all of the Bible, it's about God. And and surely God uses David, and that's one of the points, to point us towards one whom God uses. But the story is about God. God who acts to deliver His people, honoring His own name, and so turning all of us towards the way He delivers and towards His glory. So the story is about, first and foremost, about God. So we look for God as we read it. We look for what God is doing and for the one towards whom He points us as his instrument. So that's what we're going to look for as we read all of chapter 17. It's a long chapter, but obviously it's all one story, and so I have to address it all together. I'm going to read it in pieces and and pause to to assess some some of the details as, as we pass through it. So I'm going to read it probably in four or five different chunks. So 1 Samuel 17, beginning verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. They were gathered at Sakah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sakah and Azekah in Ephestamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Pause there. Philistines have invaded the land again. They've come eastward from their territory along the Mediterranean Sea, and they've come into the land of Judah, and this is about 12 to 14 miles from Bethlehem. So they've come inland quite a way. And the two armies are here in this little valley facing each other tensely, and out from the Philistine camp comes a very large man called Goliath, which might have been his given birth name, the name his mother gave him, 
Or it might have been a name given him because of his size. There, there's another Goliath in 2 Samuel, and it could be that Goliath is a name given to really big guys. So for whatever reason, he is named Goliath, and he's huge. Using these ancient units, he's over nine and a half feet tall. He's a big man. And the passage lingers as it describes him and his armor and his weapons so as to make one point clear, this man is invincible. He cannot be beaten. He's massive. He's covered from head to toe in very good armor, armor that was better than the average soldier would have worn. And when he was carrying his shield himself, he has another man who carries his shield for him, but, but when he took the shield to fight himself, the only area that was unarmored and exposed would have been his face. And his weapons, they are also imposing. Goliath's muscle, the muscle of a nine and a half foot tall man, a warrior, behind a spear with a 15 pound head on it. Can you imagine a spear with a 15 pound head? With that kind of muscle behind it, it's going to break through any shield, break through any armor, and it will kill you. No questions. It will kill you. And this man comes out to taunt Israel. And he makes this deal, this offer, you know, we'll serve you if, if you win. That's part of the taunt. It's not, he's not actually cutting a deal. He doesn't think he's going to lose. So what he's talking to them about is when we actually get down to fight, what's going to happen is I'm going to kill a bunch of you guys and then you all will be subjected to us. And, and surely, day by day, he said many other things than just this, but it's all summarized in verse 10 where he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me an opponent, anybody. And they all hear him, Israel and Saul, who you remember was head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And Israel, who you remember was the one that Israel wanted to go out before them and fight in situations exactly like this. Saul and everybody hears it and they are terrified as Goliath defies them. And that word defy is an important word in this passage. It occurs six times throughout the chapter, sometimes translated defy, sometimes as reproach. That's the flavor of defy. This is not defy like reject authority. It's defy like mock, scorn, reproach, to rebuke or bring shame upon, to taunt, to humiliate, to insult, to bring disgrace, heavy disgrace upon. He stands out there saying, any of you girls want to fight? And they cower. Knowing the insult in it, but also knowing, no, we don't. Looking at him, they, they, they're stuck in this humiliating position of, of being taunted. Surely among the, the servants, the slaves of Saul, there's a man. Find one somewhere. Send him out here if you can. And they all cringe in fear. Humiliated, but also threatened because every time he comes out and says this, perhaps this is a time when he's going to keep walking forward and we're going to have a problem. There's a great threat here as he taunts them and defies the ranks of Israel. And as you may recall, 
in that day to defy a people, to deal with a people is to deal with their God. Everybody, everything was lined up. Lands and peoples and gods were all identified together. So to insult the people of Israel, the people of Yahweh, is to insult Yahweh also. So he's defying him, which is going to become clear in a moment when David shows up. Speaking of David, let's pick up in verse 12. Read down through verse 27. So they are dismayed and greatly afraid. And now David was the son of an Ephrathite. Technically, it's of that Ephrathite, the one mentioned before, of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. And in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well. Bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in the charge of the keeper, the baggage, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel, free from taxation. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And who is, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, David, verse 12 says, David was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem, the youngest. And his father is an older man, so he's beyond the, the age of serving in the military. So he's at home, but the three oldest sons are in the army. And David isn't because he's young. But you recall from the previous chapter how David had become one of the servants, kind of a low-level servant of Saul. He was a musician, played in his court, but he didn't live there full-time. Verse 15 says he went back and forth because he still had responsibilities at home. So he came to the court and then would go home to take care of the sheep in the proper season, then would go back to the court. And he happens to be at home when the army marches with Saul, so he's not there. David's at home with his father. He's likely in his late teens, some claim that they can work out the different dates throughout the, the Bible and, and, and ascertain that David is 17 years old. I'm not sure we can be quite that exact. But 
Either way, he is, he's in his late teens. He's at home while for 40 days, interesting number, for 40 days, morning and evening, Goliath comes out and says what he says. Interesting that all this happens on the 40th day. On that day, Jesse sends David on a mission to take some food, and David leaves early, and he goes up, and he finds them just as the army's going out. And he hurries, and he finds his brothers, when just as, what do you know, behold, who comes out but Goliath. That's the Bible's way of saying, what do you know? What a coinky dink. And he hears them. And as usual, the army all shrank back in fear. But when David asked about the potential reward, his question reveals that he sees something else other than a great big guy. This is an uncircumcised Philistine. It says that here, and he says it later also, verse 36, which means something for him. Back in, in his context, you may recall we talked about this when Jonathan, a few chapters before, contemplated his one-man attack against the Philistines. He used the very same language. These uncircumcised Philistines, what the language is shorthand for is those people whom God is against, and we are the ones whom God is for. That, that's what the language is saying. And David sees an un circumcised Philistine. We are the people of God and he isn't, and yet he casts reproach. He defies, there are the words used there twice, he defies the armies, not of Israel, but of the living God. This is a reproach, a taunt, an insult, a disgrace being heaped upon the living God whose people we are. What is going on here? Asks the teenager, David. He sees, and that's what he says. Let's pick it up in verse 28 now. David says these things. And now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? He turned away from him and toward another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. And when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are yet but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. That is Saul's sword over Saul's armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with, with these. I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. People heard David talking, asking the question about this uncircumcised Philistine, and his older brother rebukes him, thinking that he's he's trying to make trouble. But he keeps talking, and Saul summons him. And when he gets there, the teenager says to the king, Don't be afraid, I'm going to fight him. I'm not a soldier. But I have been a shepherd. Good. No, 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 no. What I mean is that I have fought the fiercest beast of the earth all by myself out in the middle of nowhere. More than once. When the lions and when the bears come to take the sheep, I have chased them down, I have fought them, and I have killed them. And this uncircumcised Philistine, there it is again in verse 36, he'll be like one of them because he defies the armies of the living God. The Lord has delivered me from the paws of these beasts and he'll deliver me from the paw of this one too just the same because the Lord will defend his name. To which Saul said, well, the Lord be with you, but evidently did not think that was enough and so tries to put his armor on him also. And he tries it on. And ironically here, there's a moment of irony here where the king, who is supposed to be the one who goes out before Israel, takes all of the accoutrements that would have said, this one's the king, and puts them on David. He puts the mantle of kingship on David. There's a great irony in that. And David says, no, I can't take that. I'm not used to it. I don't fight like that. So he's going to fight like he always has with his staff and with his sling, which, which don't misunderstand. Uh, the sling is not like a, the slingshot that we have today where you pull back a big rubber band and let a little rock fly. A sling would have been two pieces of leather with a pouch that held a rock, and it was spun around, and when the rock was released, it could be released with great accuracy and, and an incredible speed. It was a deadly weapon in the right hands. And these are the right hands. So he heads out with a staff and a sling. Verse 41. I'll read all the way to the end now. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Evidently, he didn't see the sling. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword 
and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines of this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. That is Goliath's sword. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David comes out to fight Goliath, and and Goliath sees a youth carrying a staff, and he mocks him and cursed him by his gods. Philistine gods, and David's response also mentions his God, the Lord. Notice the the parallel here. He says that you come against me with your weapons, sword, javelin, spear, and I come against you with my weapon, not staff and sling. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have defied. That's the weapon. You've defied those armies. you defied that God. And right now, this God, the Lord by name, is going to give you to me and I'm going to kill you and all your friends. This is strong language. Towards what end? It's important. Verse 46 and 47. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly, Israel itself, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you to us. This is about God making God known. And then with one shot, the battle's over. 
The slung rock broke Goliath's skull. Maybe the rock killed him. The language is not quite clear if the rock killed him or if it just knocked him out. But it broke his skull. And he falls face forward. He falls face down, just like Dagon did when the ark knocked Dagon down. The giant is killed, falling down to pay homage in front of Yahweh. And David, who has no sword in his hand when he kills him, runs up and takes Goliath's soul and separates his head from his body. The Lord has given him into his hands. And with that, the route is on, and Israel triumphs. And then we get the postscript where Saul asks three times, 55, 56, and 58, he asks three times, not about David's name. David, remember, is one of his low-level servants. He knows David. He's asking about David's father probably because he wants to ask that father to let David come be with him, perhaps also because he promised free taxation, freedom from taxation to the, to the family. He needs to find out who that is. So he says three times, Whose son are you? Who's your father? In verse 58, David replies, you know, picture this, head in hand, I am the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. That's a picture. I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Here's the head of the enemy of the people of God. I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I'm the one who did this. And so that you know who it is who did this, let's get it on paper. I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. And through me, God has delivered his people from reproach. That's a picture. That's the passage. From which I'm going to make two observations here. Here's the first one. They're kind of what and how. Here's the first observation. What's going to happen? The Lord will deliver His people from disgrace to the honor of His name. The Lord will deliver His people from disgrace, from reproach, to the honor of His name. And I'm using that word disgrace here along with reproach because reproach is not a real common word for us. But remember, it is an important word in this passage. It's a major concept here. Scorn or insult or humiliation, great dishonor, deep disgrace, not just embarrassment, reproach. That's what Goliath keeps on Israel morning and evening for 40 days. Not an accident. For 40 days. There are no accidents or coincidences in the Bible. For 40 days this happens. And what's, what's happening here is that, that setting it up as if here again the people of God are lost in the wilderness. They are in the land, but they are not experiencing what the land was to be like. They are experiencing what the wilderness was like. In danger, under a, a tremendous vulnerability and fear and dismay. He mocks them and insults them for their weakness and for their inability to do anything about it. And it carries a very real physical threat. He stands there toying with them. And that reproach, that disgrace is fairly obvious here in the passage. That's, that's the setting. That's what's going on. 
It's a situation which very much connects to us, the people of God today. And that's, that's, that's the, the emphasis, the direction. I want to go there. But first, I want to, maybe as a little bit of an aside, point out, every one of us, Christian or not, can identify with what's going on here in this passage. Think with me a little bit about this. We have a people in a place that is supposed to be a land of good, a land of rest, a land of righteousness and justice, beautiful. But there is an accuser who instead has come in and has wrecked it all and they are powerless to do anything about it. And so they cower in fear and in dismay and disgrace. That's the reality for every single person on the planet. Now, I do want to say, there's a particular emphasis here for the people of God, and I'm going to go there, but first I want to say, all of us, there's a reality here, a reality of reproach, a reality of disgrace, of scorn, that is part of the human condition. Not just the Christian condition, the human condition. We live in a world with an enemy who hates every single person because every single person is made in the image of God. And this enemy hates God and all that is marked with him. He loves instead to kill and steal and destroy everything that resembles God, which includes especially all people. And one of his greatest tactics, and perhaps you never thought of this as a tactic of the evil one, one of his greatest tactics is to set people against one another and to arouse in us a vicious bent towards self that convinces me that my advancement and my security and my prosperity is attained by climbing over you. And so we are set against each other and the world is a wreck because of it. This is the human condition. He fuels in us bitterness and rage and envy and pride that leads to gloating and insulting and humiliation and boasting and attacking and threatening And every time you fear being exposed or fear losing or fear suffering or, in fact, do experience exposure and suffering and shame, every time you bump into that, you are encountering a tragedy and a reality that is evil and from which God has provided deliverance. Little things. In the hallway at school, somebody laughs at you. Big things. You're an ex-con. And nobody will respect you. And everything in between. You know disgrace and shame. You know a, a terrible, hard reality. It's a human condition. And yet, that being said, the particular focus here, this is Israel opposed by the uncircumcised Philistine. This is the people of God opposed by the world. So I want to save the other to, 
to identify something that's part of all of our condition (coughs) while also saying the main focus is on what we, the people of God, suffer in this world. And you're in touch with that too if you're a Christian. You know what it's like. Here in this country, it is not often physical. The threat is probably more emotional. But you know what it's like to be scorned, to be rebuked, to be mocked because of whose you are. You meet it in the office, at the gym, in your family. Whenever you try to hold to Christ or, or stand up for or speak out for some kingdom value, even if you do it politely and graciously, disgrace, rebuke will flow your way. That's reality. People here in the chapter are mocked because they are the people of God. They are not Philistines. And that's what the world is like. (laughs) And the good news is that wonderfully, the Lord will act to deliver us in an improbable way from that. How? That's coming. But what? I'm emphasizing that He is about that kind of deliverance. For what? And, got to be clear on this, because particularly as we sit under and suffer under the shame and the, the attack of people out there, what becomes very easily central to our thinking is, I want out of this help. And the good news is, God will bring you out, but that's not His primary goal. He's going to deliver the people of God, 46 and 47, so that all the nations will know there is a God in Israel and so that my people will know there is a God in Israel. So that my people will know who I am and how I work and that this all is mine. The battle is mine. In other words... He's going to act to deliver so as to turn the eyes of the nations and the eyes of His people towards Him and off of ourselves towards Him. All among the nations. He is highly concerned that those ones out there know who He is. in part because it is right and good that the one who made everything and who rules over everything would be known as the good and right ruler of everything. That is appropriate. And he is concerned always for what is right, for what is righteous. He will act so that everything will be cleared and His Godness will be known. I am the Lord. I defeat the invincible. I cast down all enemies. I am God. He wants that known, and He will make that known everywhere among the nations. Hallowed be His name is God's great concern. Uh, 
out there, but in particular in here among the assembly who are prone to forget him. (sighs) Brothers and sisters, I'll just put this before you. You have a God who is real. You have a God who is real. The only God who is real. There are not, in fact, gods of the Philistines and a God of Israel. There is one God, maker of heaven and earth. And He is the God in Israel. The God known in this book. The God approached, as we will talk about, through Christ and through Christ alone. That one is your God. And the battle is His. Every challenge and every struggle and every shame and every scorning and every reproach that you experience is passing through you. You you should think of it like this. I see that coming at me. I'm going to step aside and let Him come to the front. His name is on you. An attack on you is an attack on Him. He said to Saul, Why do you persecute me, Saul? I thought I was attacking the Christians. You thought wrong. Graciously for Saul, that turned out differently than it could have. Could have turned out like it turned out for Goliath. Because God Himself is the defender of you as people. That you would have eyes that see that. That He Himself takes up the battle and will fight it, not with sword and spear, He says. We look at battles, we look at the struggles in life. I mean, there's a lot of metaphor here, obviously, but we look at an attack against us and think, I know how that needs to be undone. No, you don't. He fights, but not with swords and spears, not in the way that looks like it should happen. He fights for you in unpredictable ways, in improbable ways. He is your God. He will act to deliver you, and He will do so in a way that makes sure that all glory and honor comes to Him, to His name, so that He is known out there, and so that He is more deeply and more passionately known in here, in here, for your great good. That's what you need. The Lord will act to take away disgrace from His people, in a way that honors His name. That's what He's going to do. And the second question is, how? Here's the second point. God acts to deliver His people from disgrace, and He takes away that disgrace through the faithful son of Jesse. God takes away the disgrace. He takes away the reproach through the faithful son of Jesse. The Lord is very carefully orchestrating all these events. For 40 days He comes forward night and day. 
David happens to be at home. He's sent away quickly to run this errand. He gets there just at the right time, and behold, he hears Goliath. So here's this one that has arrived, and who, does it, who is it but the one who is the son of that, that Jesse guy that, that he put the Spirit of the Lord upon in the last chapter for situations just like this. He raised him up, he anointed him, and he brought him on just the right day, at just the right time to hear this. God is orchestrating all of this. And David sees it all for what it is, dishonor to the living God. He steps forward in the name of the Lord, then crushes this one's skull and delivers the people. The enemy vanquished, reproach taken away by the Lord through the faithful son of Jesse, which is supposed to teach us something. It's supposed to make us think of some things. It focuses our attention on this one particular guy and shows us how God works in an improbable way. And we see here in this chapter that the, the, the issue of Goliath and the issue of the Philistines and the issue of their experience of the blessing of the promised rest, all of that is resolved here by this one son of Jesse. But there's something larger that we should consider that this son of Jesse can't fix. We need another one for that. There's something more serious here. Another disgrace, another reproach that sits on this people. If you think about it, you can see it in verse 11. Saul and all Israel were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24 saw Goliath and they fled and were very much afraid. Contrast that with David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? You see the contrast there and can you put yourself in that conversation? Suppose that's not a rhetorical question and they actually have a conversation about that. Dismayed and fearful. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? comes back. Who is he? He's a nine and a half foot tall giant warrior. For crying out loud, can't you see? So? He's a nine and a half foot tall giant uncircumcised warrior. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Does to me, says David. Means I know what's going to happen here. Whose side our Lord is on. No, but come on. Can you not see? I mean, look, he's huge and he's armored head to toe and carrying a javelin and a sword and a massive spear. Come on, David. Oh, is that it? So you're saying he's naked and unarmed. Because he is not clothed in the name of the Lord of hosts, the commander of all the armies of Israel, as I will be when I walk out there and cut his head off. See the conversation here. And in that conversation, do you see the disgraceful reproach that hangs on this dismayed and terrified people? It is a reproach that is implied in every statement of Goliath as he taunts them, as he, as he thumbs his nose at them, as he bids them to come out and fight. What he's saying is what they 
agree with. They don't believe in the Lord any more than Goliath does. Do you get that? Neither Goliath, nor Saul, nor Israel believes that being the people of Yahweh makes any difference at all. What really counts in this world is nine and a half feet of muscle, impenetrable armor, and serious weaponry. The things you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands. That's what counts, says the Israel of God. Ooh, what a disgraceful thing to say, to believe, to act on. And for 40 days, it's what they're doing. Which is a reproach of an extremely serious nature because the Bible's word for that is unbelief. That's not just Saul talking smack to them. When the accuser raises that accusation against the people of God, the people of God have a problem because that one lodges and gains traction in the court of God. Unbelief? That's a problem. Unbelief is about guilt and about condemnation before a holy God. So there is a reproach, a much more serious reproach that hangs over Israel and hangs over Saul that does not come off of a taunt from Goliath, but is implied in every one of Goliath's taunts. These are a people who do not believe And bless God, though that reproach hangs on every person born on the earth. And though that reproach cannot be touched by David, son of Jesse, God has acted to deal with that one and remove it too in the greater son of Jesse from Bethlehem, the greater David. Jesus. Bless His name. Through Jesus, in a most improbable way, the Lord clears up any doubt, both about the goodness and the godness of God and about the right standing and the honor of a people who, if we are honest, are colored by unbelief every day. This story is about how God uses David to deliver His people from reproach and honor His name. But it's really about how God uses the great David to deliver His people from the great reproach and to honor His name and to bring us into honor, into a standing with Him that is eternal and glorious. To chase away all shame and all disgrace off of you sinful people and to make you righteous and glorious and well and deeply and truly loved. It is a glorious story. God sent 
His Son, born of David, born in Bethlehem, to go to the cross and bear this deep, dark reproach of unbelief, to bear it for us, His people who trust Him. To peel it off of you and to throw onto you instead righteousness and glory. Because do you see that when He removes off of you people of God, and if you're not one of His people, trust Him and become one. But to remove off of you, when he, te- when he peels it away and cuts it off of you, this disgrace of unbelief, this insult to the good and holy one, when He le- cuts it off and puts on to you His robe of righteousness, what He says to you is, Honored, gloried, my beloved one. And no longer does shame touch you. And no longer does reproach have any right to land on you though it will come from the world. In the face of it coming from the world, you should say, Father, I am deeply loved. I'll stand behind you. The battle is yours. People of God, you are so fortunate and so blessed that God in the great David has peeled off of you all disgrace, all reproach, and has made you instead honored and beloved there is no condemnation on you in the eyes of God and so there is no condemnation on you period so when you're in the hall at school and somebody laughs at you or when you're an ex-con and nobody will let you even apply for a job if you're a believer in Christ that's a big if If you're not a believer in Christ, again, I invite you, come in and experience the freedom. But if you are a believer in Christ, may God run through your mind. There is the scorn directed towards me. I see it, I hear it. And also in front of me is a Christ who has delivered me and writes over me in the language of Ephesians 1, you are my treasure. Son, daughter. In this world, there may be things that we mess up. There may be consequences in this world, but there is no condemnation that rests on you. There is no scorn. Bless His name for that. So I'll close by reminding you just of verses 46 and 47. That the nations may know that He is God and that the assembly may know. So I just want to ask you a question. Are you forgetting Jesus day by day? And what God has done to save you in this son of Jesse? Do you think that what matters in the world is nine and a half feet of muscle, armor, and spears? Or do you believe the battle is His and that He will deliver you? I have no idea how. Plan A would not have been a teenager with a sling. Plan A would not have been a cross and an empty tomb. 
but he will deliver you. He's the only God who is. Do you remember him or do you forget? Let me pray. Father, would you help us to remember what you have done for us, how you have delivered us, Lord, so much of how we live is driven by fear. So much of how we live is driven by a concern of what will happen to us or how we'll look, what people will say, what people will do to us. I pray, would you set us free from that to a new degree? I know it's part of the human condition and we can't get away from it completely here in this world, but set us free to a new degree, please. Fixing your people's minds your mighty work in the son of David, the son of Jesse. You've peeled off of us all reproach. We stand as honored, gloried, loved ones of the one God who is. Remind your people of that, please. you work in their hearts as they sit here now for a few minutes work in their hearts to pull out from them the sore spots and the pains and remind them of who you are and who you are for them who they are with you speak to your people I ask you Lord Amen Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.